And let's turn together in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 15, that's on page 824 of your church Bibles. Uh, we're coming to a, a section, a, a slightly shorter section of, of Jesus' teachings, where he, he really dives into uh, an area that, that we, we tend to consider our private lives. That's how we describe it, isn't it? It's not something that, uh, that your workplace can ask about. Uh, it's not something that, you know, if, if someone says something to you about, uh, about your, your marriage or your singleness or your children, uh, you tend to say, that's, that's none of your business. That's, that's my private life. And what Jesus says to us this morning is, is actually in, in the eyes of God and in, in, in the light uh, of, of Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit, uh, and God the Father. Uh, there's nothing that we can withhold from him. There, there's no such thing as a private life. And I know that, that this is a, a, a difficult topic. Uh, it's a topic that's, that I know we're, we're sensitive to. I want to deal with it sensitively this morning. Um, that does mean that I'm, I'm going to have to take a little bit more time than, than maybe I usually do. So uh, make yourselves comfortable. And uh, let's, let's hear now, though, God's word from Matthew 19, beginning in verse 1. And this is God's word. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why, did, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her, away, send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allows you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is, it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have, been, have made themselves eunuchs, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. This is one of those, those passages that I probably don't need to do a whole lot of work to get your attention on, do I? Uh, we all have very uh, strong opinions on, on the topics of, of marriage and, and divorce and, and children uh, and singleness. You know, some people uh, complain that, that religion isn't very practical, but I, I want to suggest that if we're honest, the, the reason it, it seems and feels impractical at times is because we don't like the implications of it on our lives. If Jesus said to his disciples, you know, eat more ice cream and crisps, then we'd all be following Jesus, wouldn't we? But he calls us to, to something that's more transformative than that, doesn't he? 
Jesus' own disciples even, even question whether what Jesus is teaching them is, is actually good. They ask him, and, and we'll get to this towards the end, wouldn't it be better for, for someone not to marry if we're going to be held to the standard that, that Jesus uh, places on marriage? You know, the, we're, we're not alone in our concerns, are we? The disciples had the same, some of the same concerns that some of us probably are feeling this morning. But Jesus had an answer for them. And Jesus has an answer for us this morning. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that his teachings aren't, aren't difficult. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that, that, uh, that, that personally or, or culturally this is, this is a, an easy thing to accept. But Matthew wants us to see that, that what Jesus teaches us here is good. And he, he sets it up that he, he screams out to us that this is good. And he does that in verses 1 and 2 of the passage. Did you notice, did you notice how he introduces Jesus' teaching here? Uh, he, he shows us that, that we're, we're in a new section of teaching now. He says when, when Jesus had finished these, these sayings, these previous sayings, the, the things we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, he says he went away from, from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him. And what did Jesus do? Jesus healed them. Matthew says here, is, uh, this, is, this is a new set of teachings, and they're good for you. That, 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 that he, he associates these teachings with, with Jesus' healing the crowds. The people were coming out to him, bringing, bringing their brokenness and their diseases. And what does Jesus do? He, he heals. And so this, this crowd of people who, who've just been, just been touched by Christ, they've had their, their infirmities taken away, what happens next? Well, they, they listen to the things he has to say on what are, are extremely difficult topics. Matthew suggests that if, uh, if we accept these teachings, then, then ultimately we'll find healing in them ourselves. The question is, do we trust Jesus in these deeply personal areas of our lives? So let's look together at what he says. Jesus sits on, on three major life uh, structures or, or, or three things that will really define our personal lives. He, he talks first about marriage. Uh, secondly, he talks about singleness. And third, he talks about parenthood. And, and we won't actually get to the third one this morning. Uh, I've had to push it to next week uh, for the sake of time. But come back next week and you'll, you'll hear all about uh, parenthood as well as how to manage your money. Uh, so I'm sure we'll all be looking forward to that. Um, but let's first look at, at what Jesus has to say about marriage. Notice that that uh, no, notice who comes to Jesus in this passage. It's it's the Pharisees, uh, the the religious leaders of, of Jesus's day. Uh, he's had some run-ins with them already, uh, but these were the men who who were, uh, for for lack of a better term, the influencers of their day. They were the ones who would define uh, the culture, and they come to Jesus, and it, it says they come to him uh, in bad faith. Right? They want to test him, or, or perhaps more accurately, they want to to trick Jesus. So they ask him this question in verse 3. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now this is a, a much more loaded question than, than we might realize on the surface. There were, there were two schools of thought in, in first century Judaism. There, there were two uh, groups within, within this, this ancient community. One said that a man, and, and remember it's a patriarchal culture, uh, a man could divorce his wife for, for any reason at all. And the other said that that a man could only divorce his wife for a very narrow set of reasons. And both groups pointed back to the law of Moses, back to, to Deuteronomy 24, which they, they quote here later. But Deuteronomy 24 says in part this, when, when a man takes a wife and marries her, 
If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and it, it goes on from there for a bit. But the controversy was around this, this early statement, this first statement. What does it mean for her to find no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency with her? One group said that, well, that could, that could mean just about anything, couldn't it? Whereas another group said that that could, that could only be a very narrow set of things. Like if, if uh, he, he marries her and, and finds she's, she's not a virgin or, or had, has committed adultery. So what would Jesus say? Which side would, would he take? The, the Pharisees, it, it appears, were hoping that he would, this, this uh, 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 radical teacher would give some radical new teaching, something that they could nail him for, something along the lines of, uh, you can't divorce at all for any reason ever. And then both sides would, would come at him. But the cultural division of, of this time is, is interesting, isn't it? In the, the evening, we're looking at Ecclesiastes, where, again, we, we see that there's nothing new uh, under the sun. Jesus lived in a culture uh, that's, that's not unlike ours, is it? It was a culture of both easy divorce as well as divorce shame. Those were the, the prevailing cultural winds of his day. What we, we in the UK, what have we, what have we just approved uh, just a matter of months ago? Uh, what's called no-fault divorce. You know, you, you can, uh, in other words, you can, you can uh, uh, divorce your wife or a husband can divorce a wife or in modern culture, a wife can divorce her husband if they find no favor in their eyes. You can get divorced for no reason. There's, there's, there's no fault uh, at all. On the other hand, we're usually a culture that, that gets uh, embarrassed or ashamed or angry because of our divorces. We feel broken by them. We feel embarrassed by them. So that's, it's very similar to the culture of Jesus' day. What does Jesus say to the Pharisees? And what does he say to us? He's, incre- he's incredibly clever, isn't he? As well as pastoral in what he says. He says, I'll see your law of Moses. And I'll raise you the law of creation. The law of how, how God created and made us. Look back at verses 4 through 6. Uh, he, he, Jesus answered, have you not read? I love that he starts with, have you not read? Of course they've read it. They're the Pharisees. Uh, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Did you notice what, what Jesus teaches here is, is actually less about, about divorce and more about what marriage is. He takes the, the law of, of Moses and points to the deeper magic of creation. The very foundation of, of the marriage bond. He says that there's, there's something that you're not considering and that is, is how God made you. And what, what his ideal for, for you and your marriage relationship is. You're missing the whole magic of marriage, and it, it runs much deeper than we can comprehend. Paul even indicates this later on, doesn't he, in Ephesians. See, we, these people, and, and, and we often think the mystery of marriage is why is it so hard, and if it's this hard, how can we get, escape it? Jesus responds to that 
uh, later, and we'll see it in a moment. But, but marriage is hard because, because our hearts are hard. But the main point Jesus makes and what he wants us to see here is, is that the, the mystery of marriage and the magic of it is that God created us uniquely for it. That it's from God, not from us. And it's rather, there, there's rather serious implications of that. Jesus points us back to Genesis and says that, that marriage is God's, uh, God himself joining two people together. One man and one woman together. Did you notice that? If I ever get around to updating the podcast, this is the episode that will get me canceled. Uh, not that I have much of a following, but, but this, isn't, this isn't me. This is Jesus, isn't it? Jesus says that we're, we're each uniquely created male and female. And that man and woman were, were created for each other only. He doesn't, he doesn't stutter, does he? He makes this very uh, clear and very explicit. He says it's, it's written in creation. If God wanted man to, to marry another man, then he would have created two men. Or he would have created two women only. If he wanted a man to marry multiple spouses, he would have created several women, wouldn't he? But God didn't do any of these things. Rather, he created one man, and he created one woman. And Jesus says this wasn't a mistake. This wasn't, this wasn't an accident. Rather, he, he blessed their union, and he allowed them to, to be fruitful and, and to multiply. The, the multiplication testifies to the goodness of the, the work of God in creating man and woman for one another. I realize this is an incredibly countercultural position to take, but I hope you can see that this is not, this isn't simply my position. This isn't simply the position of Grace Church Hammersmith. This is Christ's position. And this Jesus answers the, the argument that, that I hear quite often. Jesus, the people will say Jesus never condemns homosexuality or gay marriage. Well, perhaps he doesn't explicitly condemn, but what he does do is, in the strongest possible terms, affirm marriage between a man and a woman forever. He also condemns uh, porneia, or, or the, the broad term for all sexual immorality, as we'll, we'll see in a moment. Jesus says marriage is, is serious because, because God created us for it. And God alone has the right to define its context. He says that marriage is good for us because it's, it's bringing two people together and making one. There's a, a natural dependence that, that's created within marriage. And Jesus says that, says that that's, that's a good thing. The two pieces come together to make one whole. Jesus says maths is, is one plus one equals one. We come together to make something new and unique in marriage. And the dependence that, that we create in that, the dependence on one another, makes the two more than they were. It breeds a strength. Uh, if you'd met me 16 years ago, you, you probably wouldn't like me as much as, as I hope you do today. Uh, and that's not, you know, actually that's not entirely true. Some of you would probably like me more, but probably for bad reasons. I was, I was like a lot of young guys here, you know, wild and free, utterly insecure, playing video games all the time, doing whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. Then I, I met and married Jenny, my wife. And slowly over time, she's, she's polished me into to something better, I think, I hope. You, you'd have to know me 16 years ago to really judge, but, but, but you know, I'm still deeply flawed, 
I'm still uh, utterly sinful. But, but I'm more than what I was. And I like to think I've had that, that some level of, of that same effect on her. Probably not to the same extreme or degree. But it's a profound mystery, isn't it? And how that works. It's a, it's a deep magic. And Jesus loves it. And he, he accompanies it with, with this warning, doesn't he? Notice that, notice that, that, that at this point, the, the quotation of, of Genesis stops. And Jesus makes his own statement about marriage. This is what he says. What God has joined together, let not man separate. He, he says, marriage was created, the two become one. They're joined by God. And man should not separate that. We, we want to say that marriage is, is just a social contract, don't we? Some people will say it's just a, a piece of paper. Why do I need a piece of paper to know how I feel? But Jesus says what happens when we marry is we're, we're, uni- we're not united by a social contract. We're not united by a piece of paper. We're not even united by the strength of our love for one another. Jesus says that we're united by God himself who made us for marriage. And therefore, marriage is not easily cast off. And the Pharisees don't like this, do they? They come back to Jesus in verse 7, and they want to know uh, again about the, the law of Moses. Again, it's, it's Deuteronomy 24. If creation is so great, then why did Moses allow us to get divorced? And Jesus' answer is both simple and adamant. He says simply, Moses let you do this because of your hardness of heart. In other words, Jesus was saying that, that, that you were so rebellious, that your hearts were so hard, that, 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 that you were going to do it anyway. So the, the law of Moses, the, the Old Testament civil law, was put in place to, to protect the ones that were being abused through divorce. It limited divorce. And then Jesus gets quite, quite adamant, doesn't he? He says, and I say to you, that's actually a really strong thing, that, that I say to you, this is my rule, this is my law. He asserts his authority. He says, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. You see, marriage is not to be entered into lightly, is it? But whether you enter into it lightly or not, you're not to cast it off freely and loosely. If one plus one equals one, then to, to separate that, that new one is, is deeply painful, is destructive, even if, it, even if it's permissible in, in very limited circumstances. This is hard for us to hear. It was hard for, for the disciples to hear, as we'll, we'll see in a moment. I don't, I don't want this sermon to, to go on too long, but I think it's, it's important that we tackle divorce head on. Marriage is at the, the best of times a struggle. It's, it's an unbearably hard. I know people who, who've been happily married for life. And I know others who have been unhappily married for life. And Jesus says actually both are ordained by God. And I can't nuance every single situation in a sermon. So hear me say that. I, I can't nuance every situation. But what Jesus is saying is that, that marriage is, is pleasing to God. And it's mysteriously sanctifying. It's, it, we're, we're, we're made more holy through it, whether, whether after 50 years you're just as happy as you were on your honeymoon or, or whether after just two weeks you realize that, that you saw something in a complete loser who lays about all day on the sofa watching 
daytime television and eating crisps and you made the biggest mistake of your life. Jesus and God's word have, have other things to say the, to that guy that, that's you know the loser laying on the sofa eating crisps and watching daytime television. Uh, we, we see other things in God's word about that. I'm happy for you to send them my way. I'll, I'll be very glad to say those things to him. But what, what Jesus doesn't, doesn't have to say to us is that you have grounds to divorce that guy. You, know, you weren't brought together because you saw something in him or, or you were deceived by him. You were brought together and joined together by God himself. That's a hard thing for us to hear, isn't it? And again, I can't nuance everything in one sermon. But the, my point is simply that, that marriage is far more complicated than we think. And it's far more, far more painful than we imagine before we step into it. And Jesus wants us to, to stick it out if we're in it. And if we come to, to this very uh, painful place where the, the marriage, because of, of, of the, the covenant bond being broken through the, the actions of, of, of the husband or the wife, what he calls porneia, the sexual immorality, if, if it can't be salvaged, either because of this infidelity or abandonment, Christ, Christ wants you to know that he loves you still. That even in the midst of that, that pain and that suffering, Christ loves you. you, know, you if, if you've been through a divorce for some reason other than this, then, then Christ also wants you to know that, that he loves you. That there's forgiveness for that as well. Divorce is, is not the unforgivable sin. I know some of us here this morning have, have experienced divorce. And some of you have been quite open about that and, and quite open about your experience. And, and if that's been you, I, I just want to say thank you for that. It's actually really helpful to us to hear uh, about these, these struggles. Uh, it's helpful for believers who, who affirm what Jesus says here to be open about, about their painful experiences. Others of you may feel this so, so tenderly and so deeply still that you don't feel you can be as open about it, and that's okay. Uh, again, I want you to know Christ loves you, and, and we as Grace Church want to gently and lovingly care for you in that tenderness and brokenness. And for those of you here this morning who've, who've never been married and who've never gone through a divorce, um, I just want to say to us that it's best if we keep our opinions to ourselves. It's fine to, to discuss these things with, with me or in a, in a quiet setting, but let's be careful what we say too loudly because we, we, we often our words can, can be really hurtful, uh, especially if we take a, a strong opinion on something that, that we don't have a lot of knowledge of. I had a seminary professor who, who used to say that, that divorce is hell always. And he was absolutely right. You know, anyone who's, who's been uh, through it has, has had hopes and dreams that were dashed. Uh, no one ever expects it when they get married. I sometimes hear people in, in churches act like, like people get married almost expecting to get divorced. And I... I, I I've never seen that, at least not amongst people in the church. Often people who, who go through divorce feel, feel really guilty or they feel like they're a failure, even if they're the innocent party. Divorce is never clean. It's never pretty. And we at Grace Church really need to, to live up to our name on this issue. And we need to be gracious to those who are walking through it or have walked through it. We need to be careful with our words and we need to be gentle in our care 
for one another. If you've never been married, then the calling for you is not to have a strong opinion on divorce. It's to adopt Jesus' view of marriage. That it's something that's, that's sacred and it's beautiful and it's mysterious and it's magical. And even though you don't, you don't understand it yet, it's something that's, that's wonderful for us. It's something that we should celebrate in one another when we, when we see uh, a marriage happen as will be happening in a few weeks' time. Uh, Talitha, so congratulations. We celebrate with you guys. We're looking forward to that. Marriage is something incredible. It's something that, that human law can't, can't define and can't do justice to. It's, a, it's something that only God can define because God made it. And it can only be appreciated in the context in which he made it for. Now the second, second thing that we see this morning uh, is, is Jesus gives us his, his view on, on singleness. Now, the, the disciples, Jesus' uh, closest followers, now tip their hands to where they, they stand on this, this issue of, of uh, divorce. Uh, they appear to be part of the, the no-fault divorce crowd. If, if what Jesus says is, is truly God's design for marriage, then they say it's, it's better just not to get married. We should all just avoid it. It sounds terrible. Let's stop and think about what they're saying here because it's, it's not far off from, from where many of us are here this morning and in, both in the world and, and even in the church. We, we think if I can't have my life my way and if this, this other person doesn't let me do as I like and, and just affirm me in it, if they aren't there just to sort of be my, my, my personal uh, uh, groupie to use the, the term that they, they use in the music industry, if they don't just give me whatever I want, then I should be able to walk away. And a lot of people are walking away from marriage in our society. Uh, and not, I don't mean simply through divorce. You know, they'll, they'll live together. They'll have children together. They'll buy a house together, but they, they won't marry. And this has real consequences, as, particularly for, for women and for children. There's st- studies and statistics bear this out, but it's... It's one of the, the inconvenient truths that people don't want to talk about. One of the, the weirdest things for, for me when, when we moved to, to this country was when we would uh, go to the school playground and drop our kids off at school and, and someone would come up to me and, and ask me about, quote, my partner. Oh, how, where's your partner this morning? I go, you, you mean my wife? Is that who you're talking about? And they looked at me like I was nuts. But many have walked away from marriage. They'll, they'll enter into this, this partnership. It's almost like a business dealing, isn't it? Where they feel they can, they can get what they want. And when they no longer can, they, they can walk away free. Because it's just easier to, to do that than, than to be married. The, the, the mentality of many in our, our world is that it's, it's better to, to remain single than it is to marry. Now, guys, men this morning, this is where I have to be a bit hard on you. Because uh, in Christian circles, in, in the church, you know, guys get this naive view that, that marriage is, is all about them. You look at the, the marriage vows and go, it says she has to love, honor, and obey me. And yes, the marriage vows do say that. And those are the vows that, that I still encourage, require people to use it. Just so you know, if you're going to have me marry you, You'll, those are the vows that you'll use. But this issue here is, is, is that you want her 
guys, to, to love, honor, and obey you. But to give you the truth that, that Jesus gives you here, you need to give her someone to love, honor, and obey. Christ calls you to, to enter into to marriage and to be willing to take responsibility. You, you should have a job when you get married. You should be able to provide for your wife. It doesn't have to be a good one. Just keep a roof over her head. Keep food on her table. She'll love you more and be more obedient to you if you do that. You have to be willing to sacrifice things for your spouse. You know, get rid of the Xbox. You know, sell it on eBay and take her on a nice trip. Grow up and pay the bills. Take out the rubbish. You know, learn to cook something other than frozen pizza for her. And when the Lord blesses you with them, watch the kids now and again. Some of you hear that and you, you think like the disciples. It's, it's just better not to be married. But you should remember your vow to, to love, honor, and cherish your wife as long as you live. You hear that and you think it's, it's better just not to be married. I'd rather play video games. I'd, I'd rather sleep most of the day. I'd rather, uh, you know, and, and, and when it comes to other needs, intimacy, there's always, there's always pornography on the, the phone or the computer, right? More and more guys are turning to this stuff. And they do, they're doing it because they think it's, it's the answer to intimacy and it allows them to live their lives that are, that are free and, and live how they want. There's nothing new under the sun. Guys, John Calvin says, and it says this, he says, above all, let us guard against this wickedness in reference to holy marriage. For in consequence of it, of its being attended by many annoyances, Satan has always endeavored to make it an object of hatred and detestation in order to withdraw men from it. In other words, what Calvin is saying is this, this attitude that the disciples take to marriage and the, the attitude that, that many of you guys in particular take to marriage is that, that you'll find it's, it's full of annoyances and inconveniences. It asks a lot of you. And, and you, you find that, that, that it's, it's problematic and it's difficult. And what, what, what Calvin says and what Jesus says is that the problem's not, not with marriage. It's with you. It's a problem with your own heart and Satan takes advantage of that especially in you guys, you young men, to cause you to avoid it. And Jesus actually condemns this along with Calvin. It's, it's the disciples' view of singleness, isn't it? He says, and, and Jesus says to them, there's, uh, you know, they come to him and say, it's, it's better just for everybody to stay single than to get married. If, if, you know, if we're expected to, to, to put up with, with, uh, with, with our wives, if, we're, if we can't you know, easily throw them off for whatever reason we like, well, Jesus says there's the, that, that's not legitimate. He says there's three legitimate reasons to be single, and he acknowledges that uh, not everyone is meant to be married. He says that, doesn't he? Literally, not everyone can handle this saying is, is what he says. But then he gives us these three types of, of, of legitimate singleness. Those who are born into it, those who have been uh, made to be single by man, and those who have kept themselves single for the sake of the kingdom. And I, I can't go into a lot of detail here. We are running out of time. So let me fly through it briefly. What Jesus is saying is that it's, it's natural to want to be married. And for many of you here this morning, uh, you long for marriage. And Jesus says that that's, that's right. And that's okay. And that's normal. And if you're, if you're in that camp, it's, it's likely to happen to you at some point that you'll, you'll be married. 
And when you get married, you'll find that it's much, much harder than you expect. And singleness is, is incredibly hard too, is what Jesus wants us to see. That singleness is, is a struggle as well. And others of you are, in, in, are, are content in singleness, not because of any sin, but, but because you just are. And Jesus says that, that it's okay to be content in singleness, just as it's okay to be content in marriage. And you're going to find there's struggles in marriage, just as you find that there's struggles in singleness. But he says that there's some people who, who are single and, and don't necessarily want to be, but you, you can't see any other option. And, and for you, singleness may feel like, like a hardship. And Jesus wants you to know that he loves you in that. And he gives us these three ways of understanding singleness. First, he says there's the, the born-this-way single people. Single people who, who whether they, they just find contentment in singleness, uh, that's okay. Some, it might be, these, these are the ones who, who may find uh, attraction to the opposite sex difficult, but who believe that Jesus' teachings about marriage are, are right and true. And they want to be obedient to him. And so they refrain from, from temptation until uh, perhaps the day when Christ maybe enables new attractions. That does happen. And then there's the people who, who've been made single by men. In, in Jesus' day, they were literally made eunuchs. Uh, we may not make eunuchs in our own day. I don't even like to think about what that, 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 the process of that. But there are people who, who still suffer, uh, sometimes uh, physical or, or emotional trauma that perhaps prevents them from, from being able to marry. And Jesus says that that's okay. And he loves them. Last, there are the, the ones who are single for the sake of the kingdom. And we could argue that Jesus falls into this category, couldn't we? He never married. Uh, this, the same with, with the Apostle Paul and some of the others. They, they never married because they were called by Christ to, to serve the kingdom uh, as single men. See, some people are called to singleness for the sake of being used by God in some special way. And the big point Jesus wants the disciples to see and what many of you uh, feel in this room is that singleness is, is not any easier than marriage. That singleness presents us with, with some unique challenges. And it presents us often with longings of its own. And as the Church of Christ, we have to be prepared to, to love one another wherever we are in, in life and relationships. That's what, what Jesus calls us to. That's what he wants us to see. That married people need to remember how hard it is to be single and not pretend that marriage is, is the answer and, and the simple solution. That's been one of the struggles in the church for a long time. We, we love marriage. We love children. We believe that, that marriage is good, but, it, but we, we often set these unrealistic, unrealistic expectations for it. What Christ calls the disciples to, is, to do is to be sober about this fact. That a proper biblical marriage is hard, as is proper biblical singleness. There's temptations in singleness that, that, that feel unbearable at times, just as there are, are things in marriage that feel unbearable at times. And the whole point of, of this teaching, whether you're single or whether you're married this morning, is that Christ calls us to, to look to Him to be made whole, not to a spouse and not to the freedom from a spouse. That's where we see the, the gospel here, isn't it? We heard it from Matthew at the very beginning. 
when left to ourselves, we, we end up broken and hard-hearted and suffering. And the only place we can go, the place that, that, that we look to for that healing is, is to come to Jesus himself as the crowds coming out to Judea were doing. Jesus came to, to heal and, and he, 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 uh, he came to, to touch the suffering and the sick and the dying and the longing with the, the touch of his grace and his mercy. He came to heal and, and he, Jesus entered into, you know, he, he understands your longing because he entered into our singleness. And he, he entered into our broken marriages. And he carried the sinfulness that leaves us broken and lonely in these two estates. And he nailed them to the, the cross so that we might die to sin and live in singleness and in marriage for him. See, the, the wonder of these sayings is they're, they're incredibly hard sayings. And we may not get them right. And we may not get them perfect. But we have a loving Savior who's entered in and has brought healing in his wings. Let us pray.